And so now I invest in people that, frankly, I can have a, a good laugh with. I know it sounds silly, a really bad investment criteria for most. Um, I'm sure there's some financial people out there right now slapping their foreheads like, you know, you can't invest in someone because you have a good laugh. You know, that's just just ridiculous. But but it works for me. I, I enjoy the process then of working with that founder. And, and I have found that, you know, generally, um, if you can laugh things off and, and enjoy the process, then even if you lose money, but you had fun along the way, then it's no, you know, no big deal. Welcome to Screw It, Just Do It, the number one ranked entrepreneurship podcast for business owners, entrepreneurs, and those aspiring to be so. The aim of this show is to showcase the world's most inspiring and interesting people who've decided to screw it, just do it. We offer 20% inspiration and 80% education, giving you the tools and advice to start, grow, and scale a successful business. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell, fellow entrepreneur, podcast agency owner with a number one podcast, and startup advisor to global startup generator and early stage VC, Antler. Each week, I release two episodes, a Q&A every Wednesday with one of the world's most inspiring figures, plus a solo episode every Saturday where I cover the challenges that all of us are facing as entrepreneurs. So we all know how important it is to lead an active lifestyle. Many health conscious people, myself included, are now choosing to use CBD. Our bodies are always trying to adapt to the stress we put them through. Studies suggest CBD oil, capsules and topicals have powerful anti-inflammatory properties and could be a natural way to fight inflammation and relieve pain. Now, ever since deciding to go from 5 to 42K and run my first marathon in 2020, I've been a huge fan of CBD and its many benefits, which is why I've decided to partner with Pure Sport, the most lab-tested and certified CBD in the world. Look, there may be times in your busy life when you may struggle to cope with stress, anxiety, and sleep quality. I believe it's important to find natural ways to manage the symptoms and ensure that your inner balance is restored. So why not give Pure Sports CBD a try to see what it can do for you? Just visit puresportscbd.com and get 20% off by using the code JUSTDOIT20. That's just do it all in lowercase and the number 20. Just do it 20. Welcome to episode 332 of Scrooge's Do It With Me, Alex, and my special guest this week, Simon Squibb. Simon is an entrepreneur, angel investor, mentor, podcast host, key speaker, founder, and chief purpose officer at The Purposeful Project. Simon started 17 companies, invested in over 60 startups, and has mentored hundreds of founders. Having sold his award-winning branding and digital agency Fluid to PwC, he now focuses on inspiring, motivating, and guiding both budding and experienced entrepreneurs by sharing his personal experiences, insights, ideas, and tips. His mission is to help a million people start and grow a business of their own. Now, I connected with Simon over on, you guessed it, Clubhouse. 
I'd heard about Simon many times before, but had never connected with him. And it is amazing how quickly those connections happen on Clubhouse, brand new, uh, relatively brand new social media platform that you've heard me talk about many, many times. So literally from going into some of the rooms that Simon has been hosting, and a room is a digital event, a live podcast, essentially, listening to him talk on there, uh, and then getting him to guest in some of the rooms that I've been running, made me want to connect with him. And we had a great chat. Again, it is one of those that we could have carried on uh, chatting about for quite some time. Uh, But I was aware that ultimately, we always have to bring these things to a close. But uh, since then, he's been in my rooms on uh, on Clubhouse talking about podcasts, podcasting um, as well. And um, seriously looking forward to to hearing this episode back again. I think you're really, really going to enjoy it. So we talk about many, many things under the sun. Always interested to know um, the story from another agency owner and another podcast host as well. And somebody like myself who's been involved in the startup space and mentored um, hundreds of startup founders as you, as you may know, I was at Virgin Startup, Richard Branson's not-for-profit for, for many years and helped over 500 founders there. So super interested, um, lots of commonalities, and I think you're going to enjoy this. So without further ado, screw it, just do it. Simon Squibb. Simon, we are talking about starting scaling businesses Something you might have a little bit of experience in. Would you like to um, just share a little intro with us for those of you, um, those of who joined us who don't know uh, your good self? Sure. Yeah, I always find um, the intro difficult to make short these days because I'm getting old. So um, I've done a lot. But um, but yeah, I, I, I'm I'm an entrepreneur. I personally started 18 companies. Um, I my last company was a company called Fluid which was HQ'd in Hong Kong, which I sold to the accounts firm PwC. And then um, with, with that, I, I basically have invested lots in lots of startups. I just invested in my 69th startup, my first one via Clubhouse, someone I actually met on Clubhouse. So, um, so yeah, I, I invest in startups. I, my primary thing these days, what keeps me busy day to day, is I run a platform called The Purposeful Project. And the, uh, it's a philanthropy project for me to help one million people start a business of their own. There's so many people out there right now that can't find a job. So my pitch is don't wait for a job. Create one for yourself. Become self-employed and everyone can learn to be an entrepreneur. And look, interested to know then, given the amount of businesses you've invested in, I was lucky enough to have a conversation with um, Theo Pafitas on Clubhouse last week, funnily enough, and I get to ask him a few questions. Um, and I'm good friend of Piers Linney, used to be on Dragon's Den, invested in a number of companies. For you, what do you look for when you're investing in a business? And how much do you look into the, the person or the people who are actually behind that business? Yeah, when I first started out, I, I think I did what a lot of people do when they first start investing in businesses. You try to have a very structured way of looking at it. Like, does the business fill a market gap? What is the size of the market? All of those things when I first started maybe... 10 years ago were kind of the initial things. And then I think as I got into it, I, 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 this is going to might sound a bit strange, but my, my, my kind of uh, thesis completely changed and, and it became much more emotional. 
my decision making became much more emotional. A bit like how I start businesses. I start businesses for emotion, actually, not logic. I think if you apply logic half the time, you wouldn't do it. Um, but I, when I first started investing, I was applying logic. And um, I'm not saying it didn't work, but I think that I, I sometimes miss the point, which is, of course, it's the people. And so now I invest in people that, frankly, I can have a, a good laugh with. I know it sounds silly, a really bad investment criteria for most. Um, I'm sure there's some financial people out there right now slapping their foreheads like, you know, you can't invest in someone because you have a good laugh. You know, that's just just ridiculous. But but it works for me. I, I enjoy the process then of working with that founder. And, and I have found that, you know, generally, um, if you can laugh things off and, and enjoy the process, then even if you lose money, but you had fun along the way, then it's no, you know, no big deal. Um, so, so yeah, so ironically, my number one criteria is, is can I have a laugh with the founder? Um, and then everything else after that falls into place. I like it. Um, and interesting to know as well, like when I was chatting to a um, company that sponsored my podcast, Screw It, just did it called Draper Esprit, a VC um, firm here in the UK, and chatting to, to the founder there, Stuart Chapman, and he was saying um, – it's just one of his criteria, but that he doesn't, in, he wouldn't invest in a business that only had a solo founder. Is that something that you subscribe to yourself or you don't have that box to be ticked? No, I, I never, I mean, I've, I've been involved in so many different structures that I have realized that there are no rules around structures. Mm. So I've invested in the business with, well, I mean, I, my, my, one of my first big successes, I, I had a co-founder. And I, I personally really like working with someone. Yes, I give up 50% of the business, but again, I enjoy it more. And, and so, um, so I've enjoyed having co-founders, but I invested in the business with two co-founders and they had a big argument and broke up and the business collapsed. So, you know, but it worked for me and it didn't work for them. But so I, I guess what I'm saying is no rules, really. I think it's, again, it goes back to that, you know, what's your main criteria? If I can have finding two founders that I can have a laugh with, it's harder than finding one. Um, finding <laughs> makes sense harder but but having said that i i enjoy i enjoy the co-founder dynamics myself so i know how lonely it can be being an entrepreneur so if i see someone that's got someone there to support them um often i feel like i will have to be involved less which is sometimes good you know i don't want to be there every day i can't scale myself if i'm there every day um, so I like to see that the founder has emotional support in a co-founder, but that would not stop me investing them if they didn't. Right. And and given that you've invested in that number of businesses and you just alluded to, you know, loneliness of, of being an entrepreneur, do you, do you have any mechanism where you, you have some kind of like alumni where you actually are able to keep those that kind of brain's trust of all of those people, the challenges uh, and the successes they've had and kind of distill that into something something regular? Yeah, well, that's why I built the Purposeful Project platform. Um, in, in part, it is, you know, its mission is to help a million people start a business of their own, but also make sure that no one feels alone doing it. Mm. So, uh, you know, I, it, it's, we're one year into this, this, I say, this philanthropy project for me. And, you know, definitely the community piece is very important. We've all, as entrepreneurs, been through difficult times. And I think that the, the, the ability to share it with someone that understands the problem. You know, you can't tell your staff about the problem. You don't want them to worry. You don't even want to go home and tell your partner in life maybe um, about it because you don't want them to worry. So, so you end up often, and, and even in the co-founder relationship, sometimes you, you know, you have a co-founder so close to the situation, you can't discuss it with them either, even if you've got a co-founder. So definitely a big part of what I'm trying to do is, is build out the ability for people to connect, get help, um, see answers, have answers, but sometimes just be listened to. 
And do you target, you know, a specific um, platform? I'm, I'm speaking more like social media, maybe leading a little bit onto Clubhouse as well. You see people building communities on one particular platform. Mm. Um, and then there's that whole thing of, you know, all it takes is a, is a change of an algorithm. If you've built a community as part of a Facebook group, for example, or, you, or you've built a personal brand on an Instagram, all it takes is a change of, of an algorithm to actually completely lose that and not be in control of it. Mm. Um, how have you built um, your community and how much do you see something like a clubhouse adding to that community as well? Yeah, it's a great question and not an easy one to kind of give with a simple answer. I think that personally speaking, um, I have this conversation probably daily with my team where we, we find ourselves in conflict with this. So one part of me says, focus on one platform and do it well. Mm. You know, that's kind of the line you hear from most people. Um, and, and, and the other part of me says, well, Clubhouse, as, a, as an example, it's a bit exclusive. You know, it, it, it cuts out literally half the population because it doesn't have Android yet. Yeah. And, and it does have a lot of people on there that, frankly, are already getting help on there. So if I want to help those that aren't getting help, if I say I'm only on Clubhouse, which if I did, by the way, I know my following would be bigger. Mm. But I feel like um, I am then you know, working for Clubhouse, and I am. And if they decide, you know what, we don't, we want musicians on here more than entrepreneurs, so we're going to cut back, you know, the entrepreneur rooms, and we're going to bring forward the music musician rooms. I would be, you know, fuck. So yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm scared to rely on any one platform. But for one year now, I am on eight platforms. I think eight, and and so um, so it's quite tiring being on all those platforms. And I would say the one that I've got the most traction on TikTok was the one I was not expecting to get the most traction on. And so um, so it's it's all a learning curve, I guess. But yeah, to your point, the algorithms worry me, and the motivations of these companies and how they they want us to work. They they a little bit manipulate us. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Clubhouse just created the ability for everyone to create a a, a, a club. So now everyone's launching their own clubs. So the community piece is a little bit eroded on the back end because we're not all centered on one particular support of any one particular mission on any one particular club, right? We're all opening up our own clubs. Yeah. So so we've got, you know, we, we are controlled by the mothership without even realizing it. <laughs> we are. And I think, you know, for those on Clubhouse who won't won't get this, but those who are will get it, is that the, you know, you can you can you can sense the subtle changes or not so subtle changes in the algorithm when they bring on a new development like that, like on a Saturday. Everybody can start a club now. And all of a sudden it seems like the reach in all of the rooms that are running are suddenly that much smaller as well. And like you said, all it takes is for uh for the for the founders of the app to, to literally go, okay, we want more um more people opening rooms about gardening or or music or whatever it might be, and all of a sudden the entrepreneurs um, don't get the amount of people coming to to the rooms that they do. Um, so coming back to um, the, the the platforms you talk you were just talking about, how do you think if you analysed why you seem to have got more followers on a platform like TikTok um, at all, or have you just taken it in your stride and gone, okay, well that was interesting, let's uh, let's double down on that. No, I think about it all the time, to be honest, because I'm I'm trying I'm making content to be useful to people. So I always want that content to get out there. But I think that um, you know, I guess a combination of things, I think platforms like Clubhouse and TikTok are still fairly new. And so and and and, and neither of them can you pay to get noticed. Mm. So it is earned, most of it is earned traction. 
And I feel like, personally speaking, if I'm if I'm allowed to go on Clubhouse and talk, I can bring value to the room and people will follow me. I can't hack that. I can't hire a good graphic designer to create a nice image on my Instagram to get me more likes and more follows. Yeah. I have to be there, right? And so I quite like that development. I, and, I, and I think that gives, let's say, um, new people, and I would say I'm, I'm new to social media. I mean, I've actually owned a social media agency for 15 years, but you know, as an active personal brand involved in social media, I'm new to it. And so you know, it gives people like me a chance. I mean, I'm on YouTube. I've gone from 80 subscribers to over 3,500 in six months. But you know, I feel like it's a crowded market on, yeah. on platforms like YouTube. It's a crowded market on Facebook. Forget Facebook. I mean, it's literally the only people that succeed on there at the moment are those running funnel systems, mm. running you know very expensive ad models, and and they win because they have got to the other end back the money they're spending on getting the traction. I'm offering help for free, and I don't want to have to start charging people to pay Facebook for ads. Yeah. So, 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 but yeah, I mean, it's definitely uh, something that comes up a lot internally. We talk about, you know, why, why do we have traction on one platform and less on another? And one of the things I think that's true is on TikTok, for example, originally when I went on there, I was very much myself 100%. And I went on there with, hello, my name's Simon Squibb and I can teach you entrepreneurship and here's three things you need to know. And I got hardly any views. And then I, I studied the platform a bit more and I worked out that initially those first three seconds are so important. So I kind of created a bit of an initial character, someone that's not me, actually, just to grab people's attention. Mm -hmm. um, very not British as well, which was like, hi, my name's Simon Squibb and I'm a multimillionaire to get capture people. And then I would tell the message of what I know and how I know it. And over time, slowly, I'm able to drop the opening three seconds a bit as people get to know me in the following builds and I can be more myself again. But in a way, I had to play the game. Uh, initially that a lot of i would say you know fake entrepreneurs too uh on the on those platforms to get to get noticed and so but once i had traction um then i didn't, didn't need to play games like that anymore which yeah that, that's one way i think i, I I'm, I'm more popular on tiktok because i decided to play the game there yeah. which which meant i changed my personality for the first few seconds of most videos interesting um and how much time do you, do you allocate uh, to spending on social media or, or does it change, especially when a new platform like Clubhouse has, has come along, which has completely skewed all of our schedules, I think, because we've recognized there's an opportunity for a bit of a, I suppose for want of a better word, land grab um, to put your stake in the sand and stand for something and, you know, be your own authentic self, be your authentic voice. Because if you said you, you can't fake it on a, on a platform like that. Mm. Yeah, there are people faking it on Clubhouse, mind you. Um, I see a lot of people, I don't want to name names, but I see a lot of people that are pretending to be a certain way um, and kind of rewriting rewriting who they are via, their, via, via some platforms like Clubhouse. Mm. I do think eventually it's very tiring for the person doing that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> was, yeah, no, I know what you mean. I was, yeah. I was really happy when I could start being myself on TikTok a little bit more, but initially I knew if I just put, be, was myself, it's not, the first three seconds aren't exciting enough. And if you don't capture people, they just scroll on. So, um, but I think, you know, back to your question about time, it's an interesting one because I, 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 uh, I, I, when I sold my last company, I actually, I was so obsessed with social media before I sold my company. My, my, my company was pretty much involved in bringing social media companies like, you know, big companies, I won't name drop, into China on social media. So I've been obsessed with social media my whole career. I always enjoy learning new things too. But I took two years off from it all. 
And actually, it was a wonderful two years. I bet it was. <laughs> and, and, and there's a part of me that, that misses it. But I feel in reality, when you've got a business and now I have a philanthropy project, if I'm not on social media, I'm often not part of conversations and I can't bring the content at scale to people. Mm. So I'm back on social media. I would say I enjoy it, but I'm also reluctantly enjoying it because I, I can live without it. And so it's, um, but time-wise, I, I basically always make sure that I do the things that are important before I go on social media. So I always try to exercise. I spend time with my son who's just turned three and a half. You know, he's going so quick. I want, when he's at school, I go, to, I go on social media. When he's back home, I, I spend time with him, which means that some of my room times on Clubhouse, for example, aren't the optimized room times mm. to ensure the most amount of traffic. I know that, but I'm doing it literally my son's asleep. I will now go on Clubhouse and see if anyone needs my help, which is why I often have missed a few of you, you, your great rooms, Alex, because I, I, I want to be there and I enjoy it, but I, I just literally find myself... You know, it's a choice between going on social media or, or spending some time with my son. And so I always right now pick pick family. But but it, the business probably needs me to pick social media more and more. <laughs> yeah. And do you, I mean, I was thinking about this over Christmas and New Year because I took I took two weeks off and I'd, I'd done it the previous year. And it's the only year, I think, in the last 12 years that I've been as a business owner, you know, an entrepreneur that I've gone, I'm actually going to take myself off social media at this time and really enjoy the season, spend time with my family. And I've got two daughters. Um, and now it's almost like going, right, okay, you've seen this opportunity to, to literally go, right, for the next three years or the next five years, I'm literally going to go all in on this because I see the, the difference of me literally going on somewhere like this, talking about what I love passionately, answering people's questions, therefore solving problems for them. And then organically, people are contacting me and saying, can you do this for me? Can you do this for me? Am I going to pay you X, Y, and Z to do this? And you're going, wow, okay, I recognize the opportunity, but do I put a time li limit on it? Because I love those times, like you say, when you take yourself off it, and there's just none of this white noise going on around you, and there's none of your phone calling you to, uh, <laughs> to be a, a slave to it, you know? Mm. Yeah, I don't have the answer. I think I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm trapped on this one. So <laughs> I, I, I find myself, um, I find myself, like I say to myself some evenings, right, I'm not going to go on Clubhouse. Yeah. I put the phone down, I try to put it far away from me. And then, you know, and I say, right, tonight I'll watch Netflix with my wife. And, yeah. and then I don't know why, um, Clubhouse in particular, I, I, I just don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy Netflix as much as I do being on Clubhouse. Mm. Uh, but it's not very sociable being on Clubhouse when you've got a relationship. Um, you know, somehow watching TV together, you know, it's, it's, we can't snuggle up and, what, and listen and talk on Clubhouse together, you know. So it, it's kind of, it's definitely a tricky one. But I, I do find what I'd never want to do is, is have to be controlled by these platforms, mm. right? So, so I know they set the algorithm when we follow. Part of me is like, fuck the algorithm. I'm not going to, I'm going to do it the way that suits my lifestyle and try to ignore. And I don't think it's social media addiction as, as more around like just discipline. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. I, I, I love chocolate, but I don't eat it all the time. I have it, you know, maybe once a week or you give yourself some, you know, you give yourself some moments. I think social media has to be like that. I actually enjoy going on Clubhouse in particular. And now I just, you know, spending time, I just became a host on Twitter spaces. So I'm, I'm on that. And then oh, someone yeah. sent me yesterday a link to a new platform that I've just signed up to that's trying to compete with Clubhouse. And so I'm on another platform now, you know, no way. 
And literally, like if I've got, you know, if I'm able to go on once my son's gone to sleep, which is around 8.30 p.m. and I've got two hours, now there's three platforms that I could go and have a nice conversation with people on. Which one do I pick and why? Wow. I didn't know that, right? Okay. I've seen and heard Twitter spaces um, and I didn't know there was – I've heard other platforms coming out, but I hadn't heard there was actually one like direct competitor to uh, to Clubhouse at the moment. Mm. Interesting. And, and you're, you know, not – of that age yet with uh, with your son where you're having those conversations around what age <laughs> does he is he allowed to have a phone and it's almost like you know my daughters are about to become 14 and one's just turned 12 and it's like you know it seems to be a rite of passage and i remember having a conversation with our neighbor who's a deputy head going you know what age do you give your kids a phone these days because you you know some of their friends have had phones at really young ages and i just think you haven't got the the, the capacity in your brain to say no to these things, you know, rather more than the, the intelligence to use it because kids seem to be born with the ability to swipe right these days. But it's more, you know, the brain power, the willpower to say no to these things and not be a slave to the, you know, the notifications. And I always remember my youngest starting high school last September and, you know, her having a not not really doing more i suppose on an ipad and just playing games than, than on a phone but compared to a sister nothing in the in the kind of great scheme of things and all of a sudden i remember coming home that first weekend and switching and i thought it was very clever of her to do that she switched it off and she didn't pick it up till monday because she said when she switched it on again on a monday because all of a sudden all these kids have started these whatsapp groups her notifications literally of a 48 hour 48 hour period said 999 plus and I was like, for an 11-year-old to have no experience of that, to be able to cope with that and when to say no and when to say yes to people, I mean, I can't even get my head in that space to work that out anymore, but it must be a pretty frightening place to be, really. I agree. I mean, again, I, I might come to you for tips because I'm at the early stages, but for the first three years of my son's life, we didn't watch TV at all. Really? And, and, um, and what I found was I was very tired because I'm always entertaining him and so is my wife and, and uh, people that help us, but... But equally, at the same time, he never once asked to, to watch TV. And then recently, we we, we got Disney Plus. And so <laughs> started watching things on there. And, you know, his discipline of it is quite interesting. He will actually say, I want to stop this now and play Jigsaw. Or I want to stop this now and you know, play statues, you know. So he's yeah. got other things that he likes that we built up over the last three years that mean that, you know, he's it's not just TV. And so... Um, but it, but equally, I think, you know, uh, again, it's just I don't want to start talking parenting because I'm still learning. But but I feel like with parenting, what I've noticed with my son is that whatever I do, he copies. So literally every day now he says, Daddy, I'm busy now. I'm doing a podcast. Right. <laughs> so he's, got, he's got his own idea. I'm not joking. He's got his own idea for a podcast, which I think is brilliant. I love that. It's literally his own idea. Go on. Which is basically he wants to interview babies to find out what they want for Christmas. Oh, I love that. Right, That's so he brilliant. can talk to babies because he's little, Ugh. and he they want for Christmas, right? So I'm, I'm not. I kid you not. That's his idea. I did not. You know, there's no. But basically, what he is doing, he's copying me because I do a podcast twice a week, right? So he's mm. seeing that I'm doing a podcast from home, and he wants to have his own podcast. So, you know, um, and I think if I put the phone down and we and I try to it when we sit down and have you know our lunch together or dinner together, I try to put all this stuff away. And I think that, you know, as he gets older, that's going to hopefully resonate with him that there's a time and a place for these devices. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Uh, like my, my daughter said to my, uh, what would it be? It would be my nephew, Charlie. He's on Clubhouse. He's just turned 15 yesterday, which in, 
in in theory is 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 not allowed i believe by the platform you've got to be 18 but i've had a few conversation conversations online with 14 15 year olds have come on the platform and been literally asking advice because they've already got they've already got businesses and they're looking for advice and it was interesting that he's been uh, clearly popping following me around and popping in different rooms that i've been hosting and he's got like a youtube channel for bristol rovers where you know he talks about the games afterwards and my daughter said to me the other day she goes you know you've 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 you know me and mark whittle who has a podcast called take flight and we've been hosting these these rooms and clubhouse with these amazing athletes you know he literally just opened a room and the next minute i've got somebody who's won a medal in the same race as Usain Bolt. I've got a Rugby World Cup winner. I've got Premier League footballers. You know, you've got these amazing athletes. And we're talking about, you know, mental health and the challenges around celebrity and, you know, you know, having all this attention. And then literally next minute, your career's over. There is no attention. How do you cope with that? And he's been so fascinated by it that not dissimilarly, my, my daughter said to me, you know, you, you've inspired Charlie to start his own podcast now. He's, he's kind of had enough of YouTube and found it really difficult to actually get any attention on there but he's really interested in in podcasting and seeing what you're doing on clubhouse so it's, it comes back to what you're saying again like with your son I- imitating behavior or copying behavior and seeing seeing what people do so um i find it i find it fascinating i really do totally yeah it's definitely an interesting thing and i think i'm always conscious of what i do now because um you know wrapping and turning a podcast down but i pick my nose and so does my son now so you've got to watch out <laughs> Um, and interested to know, um, you know, how has podcasting um, impacted your life then? Because I'm very passionate about it. I started it four years ago. And, and for me, the, the rewards have been immeasurable, um, uh, literally opportunities that I never thought existed. But they've all come through connection, which has led to collaboration. And as then, as you know, accidentally on purpose, ended up with this community of people who tune in you know, like you twice a week to listen to what I've got to say and, and the people that I have on the show. Um, to in, always interested to know from a fellow podcaster, I was having the same conversation with Dan Murray, Serta, yesterday. So I'd love to know your take on it as well. Yeah, well, um, unlike you and Dan, I, I've only been at this a year. So I, I feel like I'm, 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 again, I'm still learning. So I don't know if I could talk from authority, but from a, from a personal perspective, um, you know, what I've experienced is, you know, it, it, it has... It has a lot of benefits doing a podcast, but it also has some downside, a bit like being on social media platforms. Mm. I think that it is quite um, not, it's, it's not an easy thing to get a podcast done right. Um, initially, I thought it was quite a simple thing. I just you know, sit down with someone and interview them. Yeah. But actually, you know, Oprah Winfrey is Oprah Winfrey for a reason. There, there, there really is an art to it, which I've spent a lot of time trying to get to grips with and getting good at, getting good at the craft of being a podcast host. And I think that uh, the guest getting the guests on is is, a, is an art form. Getting the audio done right. Getting we also put ours out on video, so getting the video done right. You know, all of these things uh, are you know, I guess what channels like the BBC have been doing for twenty years. But it is actually quite a lot of work. Mm. And so, and I and I, if I personally, again, this is maybe a strength and a weakness in me. I, if I'm going to do something, I like to do it right. So, um, so I, I find myself a little bit overwhelmed by podcasts at the beginning because I thought it was going to be very simple, but to do it and compete and do it properly was and is a lot of work. But I've learned, and now I've got a team of people that help me. And at first, I thought I could do it on my own, and I learned the hard way that you can't. Mm. And so I have someone full time that helps me schedule the guests and manage that. I have someone full time that helps me edit the videos and create create the audio clips and so on. And so slowly but surely, I'm, I think I'm, I'm I started off really enjoying it. And then I felt a bit overwhelmed with the weekly expectation. Yeah. 
And then I got to grips with things like batch recording and, and planning out things a bit better. And then I got better at actually interviewing, I think. I'm still not great, but I'm getting there. And I think slowly but surely, you come out the other end of pain. And I speak to a lot of athletes as well. You know, they say the same. You know, when, you, when you're in the first division and, you know, you're, you're, you're this brilliant player everybody loves, and then you go up to the Premier League, you know, for, for, for a while, you can, you can, with a few exceptions, you know, for a while, you can often feel like, oh, wow, I want to go back to the first division, you know, like, mm-hmm. so in my case, it's like, I'll just go back to my original networking, you know, I'll just speak to entrepreneurs, catch up with them, find over coffee, find out what's happening with them, maybe write a blog, maybe, you know, but basically, it's somehow a lot less intense, because maybe for a couple of weeks, I, uh, I, you know, I don't meet anyone, and, and then I meet a couple of people in a week, and you know what I mean? Like, it's not as intense as producing a show every week. But bottom, bottom line is I agree with your sum up. I think if you're an outward personality and you've got a strong purpose, a, po- a podcast can be brilliant. But I, I also think that a lot of people jump on the bandwagon only to oh, realize yeah. what I'm talking about now. That yeah, it's hard work. It's, look easy. it's like a good movie. A, a, a friend of mine's a, a movie director. I won't name drop, but he said everyone loves a movie and they only complain about it when the sound's bad, but no one ever knows when the sound's good. <laughs> So, but, but, but so I think it's the same with podcasts. You, you only really notice badly produced podcasts, but you, you rarely appreciate a quality produced one because you just expect it. Yeah. And yeah, so, yeah. but the quality produced ones require a lot of planning, a lot of work, both before, during, and after the podcast creation. Um, and if you're willing to put the effort in, like you said, they can be incredibly rewarding. If you're not, you're going to find it tough, I think. Yeah. It's, and, and for me, I think the moment when I discovered that you could batch record uh, or batch together tasks, different parts of that. Because, you know, when I'm working with different brands or different entrepreneurs, putting their podcast together, it's often the entrepreneur that's the the block in the chain because they're the one who wants to be the host, to be the, the face of the podcast. And it's like, okay, you do actually have to record some content then, you know. Um, and you are the busiest person in your organization normally. So it's trying to, you know, get them out of their own way, so to speak, and give them a, a better, more efficient way of doing things that, uh, that, that's often the way. Um, and, you know, for me, I think it took me a year to do my first solo episode. Um, it, at that point, it was just uh, interviewing guests. And when I did that, it was on the, the commonalities of the entrepreneurs I've interviewed to the likes of a, a Ray Kelvin, um, founder of Ted Baker, or Richard Reed, founder of Innocent. Um, and interested to know from your experience, the amount of businesses that you've worked with, the amount of um, businesses that you invested in, what kind of commonalities do you see um, in successful entrepreneurs? Have you managed to uh, kind of distill that down at all and, and recognize any commonalities? Yeah. would love to know. No. <laughs> really absolutely it's a completely underrated thing and um and maybe i can insult myself first if it makes it easier for everybody yeah but i i am only successful today because i was lucky it had nothing to do with working hard and so you know in fact i would say you know the harder you work the luckier you get the kind mm-hmm. of bullshit saying it's just not true i actually became more successful the less hard i worked um, and the reason I was able to do so many businesses is because when the business got to a certain point, I would bring someone else in to run it. I would work less hard. The business would do better. And so, you know, the, and again, I always say if, if, if the harder you work, the luckier you get was true, then every nurse in England right now would be billionaires. It just mm-hmm. isn't true. And so I, I, but I, I think, I think it's one of those things, luck in particular, um, it aggravates people. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it shouldn't because I, I see it. If I'm lucky, I feel like I'm lucky to be lucky. 
But too many people want to jump on the bandwagon of like, here's my book. And this is the 12 ways that you can make it. If you follow these 12 steps, <laughs> you will make it too. And the secret ingredient that no one explains properly is luck. And I can explain it properly. So I'm not scared to talk about it. And I think, you know, without, I had no idea that one of the biggest companies in the world, PwC, were one day going to want to move into Asia and buy up the largest creative agency in the market. And I happened to own it at that time, right? right? So, you know, it doesn't, I don't care what anybody says, you know, those moments, yes, I, oh, but Simon, you worked hard and you blah, blah, blah. Yes, but I, you know, I, I could still be working very hard and not have had the exit that I've had and the success I've had. But, um, and I had a lucky moment where a big company made a strategic decision, nothing to do with me, to do something that actually affected me in a major way, right? Mm. I never built that company thinking PwC would buy it. <laughs> you know, so, so, but anyway, I mean, luck, luck. I have, I have written a book on this. So, um, so, so, you know, I, I, I basically feel like luck is 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 a secret ingredient that every entrepreneur should be talking about. That's why my podcast is called the Good Luck Club. Mm. And I think that if we look behind the scenes at what actually happened, there's nothing wrong with saying you've got a bit of luck. And then explaining that so that those out there are working really hard and their business isn't working. Don't go insane wondering why. Mm. And interested to know, like I always remember chatting to, to Richard Reed from Innocent and him saying uh, literally there, there wasn't a month that didn't go by when Coca-Cola or somebody else wasn't making an offer for that business. For you with, with PwC, um, was it literally just a, a bolt out of the blue and um, one email or one phone call from them or was it, a longer process and i think a lot of you know entrepreneurs start businesses for very different reasons a lot of people start businesses uh, because they want to make an impact others start a business because they literally have an end goal in sight that they want to sell this business in five years or ten years for example um mm -hmm. what, what was the process for you simon well uh first of all i'm a big fan of innocence so i can understand that, that they have that type of product that's very um you know b2c and everyone can see it and i think that actually helps when it comes to sales mm -hmm. sometimes yeah. because, you know, the person who's running Coca-Cola marketing walks into a supermarket and sees innocent everywhere. It's like, we have to buy these people. Whereas <laughs> yeah. most of my businesses have been more B2B. So, um, so out, you know, so out of my profile, basically to answer your second part first, I, it was kind of out the blue. PwC actually initially wanted to do a project with my company. And so we, um, we worked with a lot of their existing clients and we decided we'd do a joint pitch to bring, bring some work together. And so initially they just worked with, 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 with my firm and the relationship began from there. And I think PwC probably realized, well, instead of you know uh, bringing the PwC heavyweight machine to the doorstep of this company, uh, Fluid, so they could make all the money, why don't we just buy them and integrate? So, so I think initially, personally, I didn't actually plan on selling the company. I had been, uh, I had offers from people like WPP, more traditional buyers in the past, Ogilvy and these guys, they had made traditional offers. But I never felt that there was always an earn out element, for example, where you know I would have to work for Ogilvy <laughs> for a while. Yeah. And, and as much as that sounds cool, in reality, I have my own business because I want to be free um, and I don't want to work for Ogilvy. And so, um, so I was always not really that interested. And, and actually, the business was quite profitable. And so a big part of me was like, I took a lot of the profit I made from that business and invested in other startups and invested in other things that you could argue were the exit opportunities. 
So I never really thought about selling my company. And I think actually that's one of the reasons I got such a good deal with it because, you know, when it came to conversation about selling, I'm not saying I, I wasn't interested, but it wasn't my priority. I, I was quite happy just to keep partnering up with PwC and maybe generate more revenue. Mm. And so, um, so I think, yeah, I think for me, I, I, I guess the story is, and everyone's story is different, but mine was more like kind of a realization as well that, hey, why don't I have a big personal exit? Uh, and, and just, you know, do, do I, after all these years of running fluid, do I still want to be necessarily owning it? Does it matter if I own it anymore or not? And I think the conclusion was the offer was so good from BWC that I, I just thought I'd try it. But I did have a bit of um, seller's remorse for a little while. Did you? Yeah. I mean, initially, um, it was a big part of my identity. And, and most people knew I was Simon, the guy that started this amazing company in Hong Kong called Fluid. And so, you know, suddenly when you've let that go, initially, of course, you can say, I sold my company to PwC and it feels kind of good. But then, well, what are you doing now then? Mm. It's kind of like, so, the, so, so, so anyway, I think it's, um, I'm glad I did it now. Uh, but there's also an element of me that's, I, I was also glad that I wasn't building something to sell it necessarily. I was quite happy to build something that I enjoyed. And that business itself used to help me with a lot of my other businesses. So again, when I sold it, I also lost something because I didn't have an army of people that could help me with some of my startups. Mm. Um, so PwC were not going to let me leverage my army anymore to help me with my other businesses. So um, yeah, yeah, but that's the short answer. I think it, um, I guess it did creep up on us, but it happened quite quickly. Within about three or four months of us working with them, they, they kind of said, let, let's make a deal. And then um, I think it was another three or four months before the deal was agreed. And then it was about, about another six months before the money hit my bank account. And did you take any time off or at that stage you already had other businesses that you, you were working in or you weren't like a Richard Reed who, you, you, I think, you know, um, sold to Coca-Cola on the Friday and on the Monday they set up, you know, Jam Jar and started helping other businesses uh, with investments? Yeah, well, uh, funnily enough, uh, I had another business already going, um, which is called Nest, not the thermostat company, but um, an investment company. And that's what I was putting uh, money into and um, was running to help uh, invest in startups. Right. So I, I, I basically uh, initially carried on being more focused on my investments. Mm -hmm. And um, But what was weird, I guess weird maybe because it's not a traditional story, is um, about a year after the sale of fluid to PwC, I kind of had a, a deep conversation with my wife and she said to me, why are you still working so hard? And I, and I did what I always said before, which I'm doing this for us, you know, mm. we're on a crest of a wave, people know us, we're, you know, we're famous, but we're investing in these amazing companies. And my wife said, I think you've got a bit of lost in this addiction to work. Hmm. And, and, and so I, I had no plan in having any time off, even though, you know, and frankly, the money that had hit my bank account from PwC, I hadn't touched it. Right. I hadn't, I hadn't bought myself a nice car. I don't care about that stuff now anyway. I did when I was younger, but not now. And, you know, and, and I just I just kept going. And I was on a high, right? I, I had headlines that I just sold my company to PwC. I was, you know, had an investment business. I'd launched something else called Meta, which was an entrepreneur's club in Hong Kong, in the most prestigious building in the whole city, overlooking the whole city. So I was literally getting high on my own supply and I had enough supply to go on for quite some time. And, and I think there was just this moment as well when my wife said, you know, do we want to have kids? And, and I think that my mind was so focused on business and I was so riding the wave of what I perceived as success that this, uh, this question kind of hit me and I, and I realized that maybe my priorities had got a bit messed up. 
Mm. And and at that point, my wife and I said, right, well, let's leave Hong Kong because it's an amazing city. But anyone that's been there will know it's a bit like Clubhouse. It's quite an addictive ecosystem, full of power and success. And and I think we said we better have a change of environment for a while. We can always go back to Hong Kong later if we want. But why don't we why don't we go and have a change? And we were actually going to move uh, to the US, not England, where I am now. Uh, okay. But then Trump got into power and we just couldn't bear going to the airport and seeing his face there. So, <laughs> no, I'm, I, I get that with Hong Kong. I used to go there every month for like 16, nearly 17 years with, with Virgin Atlantic and used to go to Shanghai a lot, which I, which I really liked as well, to be honest with you. Awesome. So it's very addictive. Do you think, like we were talking about the social media before as well and given what your wife just said with, with the work, do you, do you think you have an addictive personality, for example? Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I've never touched drugs because I know if I did, I'd be like, I'd be the biggest drug person. <laughs> and, 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 I, and, I, and I just said it about chocolate earlier. I mean, I yeah. love chocolate and, and literally I don't have any in the house because if it's nine o'clock at night and I know I've got something in the cupboard, I will eat it. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, but I think in business, it's, it's worked for me, though, because mm. I, business is my hobby. And I, you know, I enjoy business. I enjoy working with people. I enjoy achieving things. And I think having an addictive personality and applying it to business can actually be a superpower. The downside is what I just explained a moment ago, that if you're not careful and don't realize it's an addiction. So to me, work was never an addiction. Yeah. It was a necessity in a way, right? It's paying the bills. But when you no longer have to worry about paying the bills, then why are you doing it? What's your excuse now? Okay, I enjoy it. Mm. But I think, you know, my wife recognized it. Part of me was was enjoying the ego, you know, as opposed to enjoying the business. Yeah. Um, and so recognizing that when it's an addiction versus when it's something you enjoy is quite quite an important distinction when you have, as I do have, and I know you probably do too, Alex, an addictive personality where if I'm in on something, I'm in on it. And I'm, yeah. like, I'm fully, fully engaged. Yeah, I think I can relate that to to chocolate myself and also Clubhouse, definitely, oh. and, and also addiction to work because my wife said similar conversations. <laughs> we need those balances in our lives to kind of you know, maybe um, throw some cold water on us sometimes as they hold them in a minute. Yeah. And do, do you set some parameters as to this is the, the time I start work and this is the, the time I finish work and, and this is, and you see this on Clubhouse all the time, this is my morning routine, this is my afternoon, evening routine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, for me, the short answer is, weirdly, I mean, I like routine and then I hate it when I've got a routine. So I like to mix it up and I try to carve out time in my day to do exercise. I try to carve out time in the day to be with my son. So that, you know, very much around his times, right? When he's awake uh, and, when, and when he's not at nursery. So, um, so I, I run my day around his schedule. Um, and my wife and I have a very equal partnership. And, and so part of it is I'm working three days a week. She's working three days a week. And so I cover those three days when she's working. And when I, I cover, I mean, oh, yeah. whatever that's required, whether it's, you know, letting the cleaner in or, um, you know, or, or taking care of our son. I, I, I try to uh, give her the time to work on her business because she has a pretty awesome business as well. Mm. And so, um, so actually I'm only working three days a week as in a full-time job. Yeah. So my, my time, things like clubhouses, limited things, but I find myself sneaking on there when with my son is um, busy in the garden playing. I might sneak on clubhouse, <laughs> see if I can jump into one of your rooms, Alex, and add some value or something. But um, but yeah, it definitely isn't easy getting that balance right. 
Yeah, it's funny. Um, friend, fr- somebody I've met on Clubhouse who's now a friend who, um, again, you'd probably recognize if I, if I said her name, like PR ce- celebrity to the stars. And um, she, she was saying she caught herself the other day. She said she was lying there with her partner and she said, I, I had my head, head on his chest, he watching TV. And she goes, when, it, when he wasn't looking, when I thought he was dozing off, I sneaked an AirPod in one ear under underneath him and <laughs> and went on and I was just listening. I was like, okay, that is a sign. That is a sign that you are getting yeah. far too addicted to it. Well, yeah. I mean, I think my sign was the other day, my uh, my little boy came along and was like, daddy, don't use Clubhouse. It's the first time he said that. <laughs> no way. No, don't use Clubhouse. And then wow. I tried to show him it. I'm like, oh, but I'm, 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 I'm about to speak. Look, you know, it's my turn in a second. And so I tried to like do the conversation. Yeah being and he pressed the unmute button and said daddy i need a poo oh yes, yes. You're pressing the button like trying to stop it i'm like i hope no one in the room heard that so i think at that point i realized i've, I've got to probably uh, you know not be on clubhouse when he's in front of me i saw you post about that yeah and i was chatting to dodge um widow owns bournemouth sevens festival and and um He's just taking himself off it for a couple of weeks, but that's more because Boris has given the green light to, you know, live events and festivals, hopefully this summer that he's got, you know, full steam ahead with organising his um, his Bournemouth Sevens Rugby Festival. But he said for him, it was um, when he found he was making an excuse to leave the living room from spending time with his wife and his son to going into the toilet to check his phone mm-hmm. and see what converse, what rooms are running on, on Clubhouse. So. Yeah. Well, that's it. You know, you just got to recognise it, right? You've got to recognise when... Um, when 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 you're addicted beyond and it's not healthy and when you're addicted because you enjoy it, yeah, 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 absolutely. Difficult line for entrepreneurs, that one. Yeah, well, look, um, been really interesting um, speaking to you. And again, like you, I wish I could spend more times in the rooms that, that you have on Clubhouse. But it's very much you know when you when you do have your own. Um, your room's running and you're committed to spending so many hours in there. There's only so many hours in the day, et cetera. And then you start getting other people asking you to do like um, co-host rooms with them, et cetera. So it's, um, it's tough. I get it. I get it. But um, for you, what, what you to finish up on, what are you most excited about this year with either um, one of your businesses or one of the other businesses that, that you're investing in? What's, uh, what's on the horizon and what you're most excited about? I'm excited about a lot of things. I, I guess I see that a lot of people that would traditionally get trapped in a company they don't like or a job they don't like, uh, I'm thinking in particular about university students, for example, mm. are lifting their heads up and saying, hey, uh, maybe I should start a business of my own. And we all know in difficult times, some of the best businesses have been created. And so I'm excited to see a whole new line of talent not get trapped into the treadmill and create a business of their own. And I, I wonder what the outcome of that influx of smart people um, not working for the banks, for example, and, and actually going out and applying themselves to a business that's making a difference, having an impact. What domino effect or butterfly effect we're going to have 10 years from now, what's going to enter the market because of this difficult time uh, and people leveraging this difficult time and making it somehow uh, work for them and I'm yeah so I'm quite excited about that I think um, yeah I'm, I'm excited I personally really am enjoying this kind of new voice activated social media world because I I hope that it can get rid of the fake influences yeah. and and actually bring you know you, you can make it even on YouTube you can, and I, I'm on YouTube but you can create a great video that makes you look good sound good if you edit it well 
and put it up. And, and that's a great image you can create. But I really like the rawness of things like Clubhouse and, and Twitter spaces and, and so on, because I feel, I feel I'm excited about the fact that I can actually contribute to those ecosystems in a way that, you know, you've got to have, I think, experience. You've got to have a voice and opinion. Um, you've got to be willing to debate. These are things I have a personal strength in. <laughs> So, so I'm, I'm selfishly excited about those platforms and things evolving from fake social to real social. Mm. And, and someone like yourself, Alex, I've only got to know you on Clubhouse. I actually really like you. You know, like I genuinely feel like you're a friend, but I only have really sat in Clubhouse rooms with you. So, yeah, it's crazy, it's isn't it? Likewise, feeling, right? It's a weird feeling to have that. It's actually very exciting, though, because it is because it, it, as, as you get older, it's harder to make friends. It's quite, you know, quite. Business meetings are quite transactional, right? It's mm. actually quite hard. So this, this, so I'm excited about that too. I'm excited about the um, the opportunity that voice brings to me personally as a sociable person to connect with people all over the world um, that I otherwise might not have had the chance to connect to unless I'd done a really pretty picture on Instagram. Yeah, well, do you know what? I'm the same as you. I literally felt like I haven't been able to contribute to this conversation on social media for, for so many years. The only way I felt I could do it was when I was hosting live events. I could do it for four years with with Virgin Startup, Richard Branson's not-for-profit, and hosting those live events from... Um, you know, like from Manchester down to Brighton, but actually doing like pieces to video beforehand, afterwards, and then during, and that was just me in my element. And I feel I'm I'm doing the same thing on Clubhouse without all of the bells and whistles. Really, it's just talking about what I'm passionate about and finding that people that actually engages people. You know, whereas before that, with an Instagram or a Facebook. Even LinkedIn, to be honest with you, I've ne- I've never actually felt that. You know, never felt that, and and people just uh connecting with you and you see it more and more i've seen it more and more on linkedin over the last year i think since the, since the pandemic but so many of those cold um messages that you get that are clearly uh the, the, the same as a cold email for example you know yep. sales sales pitch whereas it doesn't seem to be the the, the same thing it seems genuine connection i see you know mm. i've had collaborations already off, off the back of uh, something like a clubhouse and you mm. just feel these communities being built like you've clearly building one on there dan who i spoke to yesterday is clearly building an amazing community you know what what he's doing as well and you know i hope to be doing the same so yeah well i feel like i'm part of your community and i'm always grateful for that and uh, you know again alex just to say to you you know i i i have been a lone podcaster for a year creating my own podcast and for the first time thanks to your runes i feel connected to other podcasters and it feels good mm. and i'm learning from them and I'm, I'm i'm grateful to have to have that connection so thank you for what you're doing uh, appreciate you too and um yeah let's do something again um very soon so as i said and as you might have gathered could have chatted to Simon for hours. Um, love what he says uh, as a, a relatively new podcaster that if you have a personality and you have a strong purpose, a podcast will be brilliant. And look, for me, when I started podcasting, I didn't even really have a strong purpose. But so for those of you thinking, I don't have a purpose, I don't have a purpose. Look, I didn't. I didn't really have one to start with, in all honesty, four years ago, nearly four years ago. It's developed over the last four years until, you know, as I've articulated before, I, re- I reached the stage where I went all in on podcasting, where I wanted to help everybody find their own voice via the medium of audio, via podcasting. And I went all in 
you know, launch the agency, create a course, coaching, you know, you name it, I'm all in. But I certainly didn't have that person, that that purpose to start with. Did I think have I had a personality? Yeah. <laughs> um, without being cocky, I definitely think I've got a personality. Um, and I think audio is a great way, a podcast is a great way to convey that. And especially... Look, I shy away from video. I've said that many times. I shy away from that. I still do. I still I still don't like it. Um, whereas I have no qualms about audio talking into a microphone here with nobody watching. But And even, to be honest with you, I don't have many qualms about doing live video, like going on an Instagram live or a Facebook live. But strangely, when it comes to recording video... I end up doing a thousand takes and I feel super uncomfortable. So look, I, I honestly think there's a medium to suit everybody. You know, if you like writing, write a blog. If you like video, make a vlog. If you like audio, a podcast, a pod. Um, and maybe another point that I, I want to pick up on here um, is the fact Simon checking out three audio platforms at the moment, Spaces on Twitter, Clubhouse, and then I've forgotten the name of the other one now, but the rival to Clubhouse um, that's out there as well, that these newer social media platforms focus on traction being earned rather than bought. And I love that. I've never been on a social media platform and got the traction that I've earned because I've put the work in, I literally speak on Clubhouse for a minimum of nine, a minimum, I would say, of two hours a day to a maximum, geez, you don't want to know, uh, probably, I mean, it could be as high as at some points in time. I haven't done this for a while, but like 17, 18 hours. So I have put the work in <laughs> to get to like 12,500 followers in 100 days. So, and then the Rob Moores of this world to, you know, a hundred X that, um, sorry, 10 X that 20 X that 20 X that maybe. Um, and I, as you know, I strongly, strongly think that you should all should, uh, should try it out as well. So look, that was uh, this week's episode. Really enjoyed speaking to Simon. Could have spoken to him for hours, said some super astute things and um, get the feeling we're going to be doing some other stuff together at some point in the future. So thank you for listening. Have an awesome week. Um, Solo Saturday episode coming up this Saturday. Um, So enjoy that too. If you'd like to learn how to launch and grow your own number one rated podcast like this with zero experience, zero knowledge and zero tech skills, come and join me at ultimatepodcastmastery.com where I've just launched for a limited number of people brand new podcast membership course. So you'll get access to my ultimate podcast mastery membership course. You'll get my digital workbook, my progress sheet, my launch checklist, and all of the nitty gritty cheat sheets, templates, and scripts, the podpreneur way. You'll also get 
weekly live Q&A with me, exclusive WhatsApp group chat, and entry to my private Facebook group, as well as access to all my past interviews and trainings with special guests as well. This is available for a limited time for a limited number of people. So once it's gone, it's gone. But if you'd like to learn how to do exactly what I'm doing now, then I'll show you how. Head on over to ultimatepodcastmastery.com. If you found value in this free podcast, all I ask is that you tell somebody else about it. You don't have to leave a review or write a post on social tagging me in the screw it, just do it hashtag. But if you do, I promise to give you a shout out on a future episode and you have my eternal thanks. I'm at Alex Chisnell on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook, plus at Alexander Chisnell on Instagram. Alongside the Screw It, Just Do It Facebook page, this houses the Screw It, Just Do It community and has the most up-to-date information on all things Screw It, Just Do It, including all of our live events. I love hearing from you if you either message me on LinkedIn or email alex at screwitjustdoit.org. I promise to reply. Just give me a little time. Thank you.